T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Home and home. Will she get a second date? She is the XFL. She was hot. Not a lot of personality, though, but right now, 68% of the more than 1,000 people who voted at RDC Home and Home say you will give the XFL a second date. Was it based on her looks or her personality? I say it was all on the outside. Judge a book by its cover, apparently, here. It is an Oscars Monday here on Home and Home, radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out at ziprecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest way to hire. Coming up in just a bit, Pete Thamel with some breaking college football news related to Michigan State and also the greatest rivalry in all of sports, Duke Carolina, some insight on that and how to fix college basketball. I'm Dave Briggs. I'm home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, he's home in Pennsylvania. We are talking about the XFL. And one of the highlights over the weekend was the in-game interview, which we'll get into in a moment. Let's have an in-show interview with Ben Kirchival, CBS Sports XFL reporter. Uh, ben, good to have you on the show. You were at a game and presumably you watched a game as well. What was the at-game experience like for you? Most of us, are, are, of course, watched it from the couch. Yeah, I was at uh, Dallas and St. Louis, or, um, so it was going to be here in Arlington. And, um, you know, it was good. They, uh, they have it at Globe Life Park, which is the uh, old Rangers ballpark. And so it's a, it's a, little, it's a little bit of a funky setup. Um, but fans turned out, they said about 17,000. I always think that's a little bit of an overestimate. But uh, lower bowl filled in pretty nicely. Uh, people had uh, faces painted, uh, kind of dressed up a little bit. I mean, that's, to me, that's a little bit easy to do when it's week one and, and hope springs eternal and everyone's really excited about it. We'll see kind of how long that can continue to go on. Uh, wasn't a lot of offense in that game last night. When it gets lost, I was talking to someone on the Renegade staff and He's like, you know, when Landry Jones is, is able to come back healthy and if they have a co- quarterback competition with him and Philip Nelson, hopefully that opens up the offense a little bit. That just really wasn't the case last night. A lot of checkdowns. But, I mean, overall, it, it seems like people were really interested. You can only get so interested, though, when your team is kicking field goals and, and there's really a not a lot going on. So I think that just speaks to the larger point about if the football is watchable and it's entertaining like it really was on Saturday – then, you know, all the other things that the XFL is doing right, those things are good, but that's what really has to matter. Is no one's expecting it to be the NFL, but it has to be like Sunbelt football, right? It's got to be like something quirky and different that people like tuning into. All right, so Ben, what was the best part about it, and what was the worst part about it in your mind? <sighs> you know, this is always what happens to me, man. The worst part was the game I had to sit through Sunday night. <laughs> That was probably the worst game because like, it's, you know, if you look at the AAF last year, those games were really, some of them were really rough through like the first four or five weeks, but they also lasted like only two and a half hours. It was pretty, it was like ripping a bandaid off. If, if it wasn't good, at least you knew it was going to be over in like a, a sort of short amount of time. These uh, XFL games are much closer to the time frame of an NFL game, maybe a little bit shorter. Um, but when you consider the, the clock stopping inside of two minutes after every play, that's one of those rules where I, you know, they, I know they do it to try to make sure the team who's behind has a, a better opportunity to come back and make it a game. I, I get why they're doing that. It really slows down the game a lot, even though for 56 out of the 60 minutes, it actually cruises pretty well. But those final two minutes are a real grind. I don't know that of all the rule changes, I don't know that that's my favorite. However, that being said, every, everything else, they really gear towards offense. They gear towards big plays. We haven't seen overtime yet. We haven't seen really the double forward pass yet. I think those are things as the season progresses are, are going to be really fun to watch. But 
Uh, you know, just the fact that they do the, the extra points a little bit differently. You can get one, two, or three. Uh, the new kickoff rules, I think, were, were really successful, even though there wasn't a big play. That was very well received. Um, instant replay transparency was very well received. And, yeah, I like to say, if you, if you have a good mobile quarterback in there like P.J. Walker or Cardell Jones or Jordan Tiano, uh, those, those XFL offenses can be pretty fun. Talking to Ben Kirchival, CBS Sports, covering the XFL. Yeah, my biggest disappointments, we didn't see the double forward pass and we didn't get an overtime game. I eagerly await that shootout uh, format that the XFL has embraced. The in-game interview, Ben, was very interesting. Some good, some bad, and some very notable on social media. Listen to this one. I don't know. There's just a lot of chatter after play. We're trying to make some stuff happen, and they're doing a little extra pushing and shoving. We're trying to get our fucking job done. And there was the first F-bomb of the XFL season. There was the first ejection also we saw for a punch delivered. What can they fix that they need to? You can't fix the talent level. I thought the quarterback play was was mediocre at best uh, beyond P.J. Walker and maybe Cardale Jones. What can they fix in the immediate future? Uh, I don't know that you're going to fix anything after one week. I mean, if you're going to do in-game interviews, People are going to drop the F-bomb. I mean, I mean if, people, if people were ever down on the sideline for even a football practice, I, they would know that those words are flying around all the time. And it's emotional, and people push and shove all the time. So if you're going to do those in-game interviews all the time, you're, you know, you're going to have a couple of those. So I, I, I don't know that that's something you necessarily need to, to try to tweak or, or adapt or anything. You just, you just kind of have to roll with what that's going to be. Um, you just have to give this thing a few weeks to really gel. And it, it's going to be tough for some of the teams that don't have great quarterbacks. Um, you know, it's, there's not 32 great quarterbacks in the NFL. There's maybe not even 15 or 16. So, so to go to the XFL and say, all right, we got to find eight great quarterbacks, even if we're going to pay them more, that's going to be almost impossible to do. You're going to have one, maybe two. Same thing with the AAF last year. You just have to ha- hope that the coaches are able to develop some of those guys in the meantime, squeeze the most out of them, get some good play calling in there. Uh, so, you know, after one week, I don't know that there's a whole lot you can say, yes, we need to absolutely change this. I think you just need to ride it out a little bit and, and see what it gets you and then maybe make some more whole- wholesale changes going into a year two. Ben, you mentioned the AAF. I'm curious, knowing you cover the AAF as well, how do the two compare? Like, in what ways is the XFL better, if at all? I'll tell you what, I, you know, say for maybe the Sunday games, uh, I thought the product was a little bit ahead of where the AAF was last year. The football was a little bit better, a little bit more competitive, uh, and that was an encouraging sign. Now, I think they've also streamlined the game uh, outside of just the whole, you know, the fact that they're a little bit uh, longer games. I actually think they've streamlined the process a little bit more. Um, I think they've, they've found ways again to just with some of the rule tweaks, you just, you just make things a little bit more interesting. You found a way to make kickoffs a little bit more interesting. Uh, I think there's some really smart minds, smart football minds behind the XFL. And, And there were for the AAF too, but I think ultimately the way that, they were managed on the back end coupled with the fact that, you know, the quarterbacks were not super well compensated. And so you didn't have a great quarterback selection. Um, you know, I think the XFL has put its chips all in on some more of the things that really matter uh, when it comes to having a, a spring football league. We'll see how long that, that gets them, but I, I think they've, they've invested in the right areas. It's just whether that, that pans out for them. So I guess the question in my mind, Ben, and Dave and I were talking about it earlier, I don't know if you have this answer or not, but what do they need? Like, what do they need ratings-wise and attendance-wise to break even and say this this venture is successful or at least worth continuing? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So Saturday's game got $3.3 million. And for reference, the AAS first uh, Saturday got two point nine. Uh, a year ago. So a little bit past that. Now, what you're obviously going to expect is that those ratings are going to taper off. 
I mean, they're, they're going to. ESPN, Fox, the XFL, they're all prepared for that. Every startup league ever has had that same issue. So you have to be able to mitigate what that drop-off is. Now, I don't know what the specific number would be for them, but obviously they feel like they need to have some sort of maintenance level where they feel good about having a year or two. And for the record, I, I think barring an unmitigated disaster, they will get a year or two. That will be more of the really clutch time to figure out if, if they can have this thing become viable. I wouldn't worry too much about attendance. Um, that's probably not their highest priority. They know kind of where they stand with that. But keep in mind, too, I mean, they have a partnership with FanDuel for fantasy football. Um, I mean, you've got to be able to, to make some money in other areas as well like that. Um, and then again, two, maybe three years down the road, if you've been able to maintain some of that viewership, you're not going to get 3.3 every weekend. But if you can maintain some of that pretty consistently, I think that gives you not necessarily leverage, but that gives you an opportunity to sort of rework those contracts and, and have something go beyond just the first couple of years. Feels like the over-under for the league existence is about two and a half years. Talking to Ben Kirch of all mm -hmm. CBS Sports, covered the XFL's opening weekend. They got a lot of familiar names as far as the coaching standpoint goes. Bob Stoops, Kevin Gilbride, Pat Hamilton, Jim Zorn among them. And they were mic'd up, which was interesting from a play-calling strategy. I wonder how they'll like it next week when teams know uh, what their play calls are. But here's the personality of Jim Zorn and what was one of the real misses I thought over the weekend listen trips right 21 ace dancer trips right 21 ace dancer you run the option route Trey. indeed they do but he fumbles the football fumbles the ball and Qualls was there for DC you gotta be kidding me oh my gosh hot ball turn it yeah yeah. Okay. All right, so it was a devastating fumble right near the goal line, and there's Jim Zorn with, oh, my gosh, credible names, really boring personalities coaching. Do you think they made a mistake in not coveting, and maybe there are none, maybe there are no John Gruden-type coaches out there? Yeah, I mean, your pool of coaches is, I don't want to say limited, but it's it's different. Um you know, Oliver Luck talked me through this process a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they had coaches that they identified. But when you do a startup league, you know who your head coaches are going to be? The guys who either are like Bob Stoops or, or Jim Zorn or Mark Trestman, who are probably more in the twilight of their careers, who are just looking to coach some ball in the spring and then, you know, kind of be done for half the year. And, and that's, that works for them. And if it doesn't work out, it's no sweat off their back. Um, you're either going to get guys like that or you're either going to get a Pep Hamilton or a Jonathan Hayes who who will be fine no matter what but are maybe looking for their first head coaching opportunity and, and this is a chance to, to put something else on the resume. So as far as the you know huge personalities or whatever, it's, it's not that they're not out there. It's that they have to you know work with really what they have and, and the pool is – Again, it's not limited, but it's just there's only so many people that you can really go out and hire. And, you know, look, not everyone's going to have a, a huge personality. It's just kind of what it is. But I think if this, again, if this thing succeeds and goes past, it goes past a couple of years, then you're going to have an opportunity to open it up and, and really get some different minds in there, not just personalities. I mean, they, they looked at Joe Brady a year ago before anybody knew who Joe Brady was. But it's not. It wasn't smart for Joe Brady to go take a chance on the XFL when he was on this trajectory. So it's uh, you know, if you're you're going to have some sideline interviews that drop the f bomb, and you're going to have some coaches who don't give you anything personality wise. It's you know, you're not, they're not going to be perfect for everybody. What about Ben uh, trying to get some more star power from the players, whether it is the Johnny Manziel or Tebow's of the world, or even dipping into the college ranks? Uh, yeah, you don't want Johnny Manziel. You don't. Uh, <laughs> there, you don't. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. Why not? And, but, do you, I mean, you followed his career, right? 
I mean, that's I, let me tell you, I, he went to he went to the AAF, and there was a reason he got passed around before he landed on Memphis. I'm just saying that. So, but as far as as far as other star power goes, I will say this because they pay the quarterbacks more than the AAF. Uh, I think they have an opportunity to get some guys with higher ceilings who maybe aren't getting the, the starting jobs in, in the NFL. But again, there's they're not like there's not 32 great quarterbacks out there, so it's just the the pool is is very small. It's it's not as big as everyone maybe thinks that it is. Um, and then so if quarterbacks are getting a higher chunk of the salary, that means it's less for everyone else. Well, no one out there who's a big name is gonna is gonna take that pay cut. I mean, even Antonio Brown, you know, before everything that happened with him, I mean, they talked about him being a possibility for the XFL. Well, he he could go just so that he's playing football, but he's not getting really paid a whole lot. And then on top of that, he's it's not like he's got anything he has to prove. I mean, he's obviously he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. You don't have to go and prove that. The reality is, for whether it's the XFL or the AAF, these guys are here for a reason. There's a reason they're not in the NFL. And you have to be able to you know temper those expectations and, and go with that product because it's not going to be as good. And there's a very short of having just un, unlimited cap space in, in contracts, which is hard when it's being financed by one person, even if that person is a billionaire. It's very hard to just go out there and throw money at whoever you want and hope that they come and, and play. Yeah, talking to Ben Kirchival, CBS Sports, covered the XFL. Antonio Brown was the guy I was thinking immediately that if I'm Vince McMahon, I encourage somebody to just write a blank check because although I think the guy needs to be behind bars and clearly needs mental health help, look, if he's not arrested, I'd probably turn on the TV and watch no matter where he was. But the base salary is a thousand bucks a week right now. Victory bonus. Yeah. Two grand. There ain't <laughs> he's, no way. He's throwing, he's throwing yeah. that away every day. <laughs> you know, right. yeah, so he's, you're probably he's not going to get that away. type of star power. So how do you no, get yeah. bigger names? Good question, and I don't know that I have an answer for that. I mean, you, you work within the the limitations that you have. Um, again, I think I think the biggest priority for this league right now is, is you just try to field the best football that you possibly can, and if you do well enough for two or three years, that you're you know you're given basically another media rights contract extension, and you're able to keep this thing going for a little bit more. I think that's when you start looking at this as, again, it's not competition for the NFL, but you look at it as a, as a viable standalone operation. And, you know, as far as maybe getting some of the big college names, like everyone talks about Trevor Lawrence, right? Would he just eschew a, another year and, and maybe try to go to the XFL early or something like that? Again, even the yeah. highest paid quarterbacks are making barely above like league minimum, or maybe it's not even league minimum, but it's close to league minimum. Uh, Trevor Lawrence for a year would be better suited sitting out and still being a first round draft pick from a business standpoint than going to the XFL. So if you're talking about big college names, you would have to have a guy who is clearly an amazing college player, but will not project to the NFL to make that type of jump. And I don't know how many of those great college football players are willing to not bet on themselves like that. So, Ben, I want to talk – my last question for you, I want to talk more kind of big picture, right? I'm watching the league. I enjoy it. I think it's very beneficial for the NFL, very, to have a place to have officials train and develop here, players train and develop. We saw a lot of AAF guys end up going to NFL training camps, making NFL teams and practice squads, plus the ingenuity with the different rules and being able to test out different rules. Like, it goes back to my question, I feel like, of what this league needs to survive or be sustainable. Because I almost feel like whatever that whatever that is, the NFL should give it a little bit of a boost and maybe even financial support, I don't know, to help it get to that point where it really is viable because I think that investment would be worth it to the NFL long-term 
And I'm wondering if you think that's a realistic possibility and or the goal. I, I wouldn't say it's the goal for the XFL. I mean, that was certainly one of the goals for the AAF was they wanted to tether themselves uh, at the hip of the NFL, work with their players union, basically become their de facto development league. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, there were maybe not a lot of big names, but there were certainly some names from the AAF who went on to not only make an NFL roster, but in a couple of instances start. Uh, I know that the Denver Broncos took a, a couple of AAF guys and had them along their offensive line by the end of the year. So I, I think it was evident that those types of products can work. Um, as far as what relationship the NFL and the XFL would have, I don't know that that exists because, again, I mean, the XFL is, is trying to be its own thing. And the, the other part of it is the Shield is very concerned about itself, meaning I don't know that the NFL is, is looking to something like the XFL and saying, you know what, as much sense as it makes, like we need to adopt the, the transparency of the instant replay or we need to adopt these new kickoff rules because it's, it's safer for players. I don't know that they're looking at that as much as they should be and saying we, we need to have a little bit of, of self-reflection here and trying to make our own product better and maybe like working across the aisle and trying to, to work with another league to make the, the, the product and the game a little bit better. Um, I, don't, I just don't know that that's how the NFL is operating in all of this. Now, would the XFL be open to it if they were? I, I certainly would think so if, if the NFL and, and Roger Goodell came calling. I just don't know that that's been in the business plan for anybody. Um, as far as I know, none of those talks have existed. And uh, I would probably be surprised if at some point they do. I'd be shocked if the NFL has any interest in any cooperation with the XFL, at least for this season, until they see them become an established league. Good to talk with you, Ben Kirchival, yep. CBS Sports. Check out his work on Twitter as well. Good to have you, man. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. I think quickly, one thing, Ross, they ought to do more of is embrace the gambling aspect of the XFL. Uh, clearly, ESPN embraced it. They had the over-under and the point spread on the screen, but Fox seemed hesitant. I heard some references to gambling on the ESPN broadcast. No reference to it on Fox or uh, ABC. I would like more discussion of gambling, really welcome the gambling community into the XFL product. I think that is an opportunity. We've got an opportunity to bring in Pete Dammel after a quick break here. Pete from Yahoo Sports with some breaking college football news about where Michigan State is left trying to find its new head football coach in a search defined by who is not interested. Also, how does college basketball fix their issues? After a quick break, here's Pete Dammel. But first, Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. Then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. You can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter screening questions, to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then find the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified applicants so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What does it say about the state of Michigan State football when the head coach at Cincinnati declines declines to even show any interest in your job. And what about the state of college basketball? Coach K with some surprising comments. What do they need to do to fix it to become more like college football? And Duke Carolina, the best rivalry in all of sports, will tell you why. 
It's an Oscars Monday here on Home and Home, radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest way to hire. I'm Dave Briggs. I'm home in Connecticut, and Ross Tucker is home in Pennsylvania. Home and Home <laughs> takes you across the country, and we start with college basketball and college football with Pete Dammel from Yahoo Sports breaking college football news this morning. Good to talk to you, Pete. It's Dave Briggs and it's Ross Tucker. Tell us about Luke Fickle turning down Michigan State and what does it say about the state of Michigan State football that this search is defined by all the coaches not interested? Uh, well, I'm going to quibble with one thing you said slightly, Dave. The Cincinnati yeah. coach in that position is one of the best positions in group of five football. I mean, if you look at the last 20 years, Cincinnati coaches have gone to Michigan State, obviously, with Antonio. They've gone to Tennessee. They've gone to Notre Dame with Brian Kelly. So I don't think it's an insult necessarily to Michigan State that Luke Fickle uh, you know, d- declined his interest after interviewing on, uh, on Sunday. I, I think Luke Fickle has a better team at Cincinnati than the roster currently at Michigan State. And you have an athletic director, Bill Beekman, who's not really an athletic director. He's a suit who came over from the campus side in the wake of the awful Nasser, Nasser scandal. He's never run a coaching search, and that's becoming apparent here as this search sort of sputters on aimlessly uh, kind of throughout, throughout the country without a ton of direction and conviction. So the timing of Mark D'Antonio's departure is really the first thing that set this back. This is a very difficult time for coaches to switch jobs. I mean, it opened the day before signing day. So... There were, there, there's already some like inherent ugliness with leaving right after you're signing a bunch of kids. And then when you, when you compound it with the administrative instability at Michigan State, it's not that attractive of a job. Uh, I think now as we, as we wake up on Monday, interim coach Mike Tressel has a much better chance at getting this job just because uh, they, they've searched and knocked on some good doors and nobody's answered. So... I want to get back, Pete, to the, 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 the matter at hand with Fickle. You know, Michigan State, Power 5, perennial top 25 program, Big Ten East. Why did he say no? I think there, there's a, a bunch of reasons. I think the timing had a lot to do with it. Um, he has a son who's going to be a, a senior in high school. It's difficult to walk away from a, a team you're already started to build. You know, you're a month into kind of winter workouts in, in different things. And he he has a better team at Cincinnati. Luke Fickle's never lived outside the state of Ohio, other than he had a cup of coffee with, uh, I believe, the Saints after he played at Ohio State. So there's, there's a comfort zone there. And, and I really think, Ross, the answer to Michigan State, you can say perennial top 25, you can say what you want. It's the fourth best job in either the toughest or the second toughest division in all of college football. You're inheriting a bad roster with no quarterback and scandal looming over the entire university. And, oh, by the way, you've got to build it so you can beat Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. It's a difficult job. And I think Mark D'Antonio exceeded expectations there and, and did an excellent job. It's unfair almost to view it through his prism. I think that's a fair point. Uh, let's get to D'Antonio because I haven't really gotten a straight answer on this. Why did he resign when he did? Is it because he just wanted to wait until he got that retention bonus? Or was it the heat from the Blackwell lawsuit and maybe he thought, I got to get out of here? Or the administration thought you might want to get out of here before some of these more allegations come? So I would say it's a little bit of all of the above. Like if you had asked me in September, do I think Mark D'Antonio coaches at Michigan State next year? I would say more likely he does not than he does. Him stepping down wasn't shocking. The timing was unfortunate. And I think a lot of this comes back to an incompetent administration. If you look at the Michigan State administration, you know Mark's due the $4.3 million bonus. You could still have talks with him about potentially leaving in December before the bowl game and say, hey, Mark, look, in good faith, we're going to give this to you or let's negotiate it down to $3.8 million or whatever you want to do. Like, everybody sat on their hands until they got the bonus. And 
he tried to restructure the offensive staff there and tried to lure in candidates. Well, who wants to go join a sinking ship? So there were a confluence of things that, that sort of dominoed to him stepping away when he did. But, I mean, let's be honest, the most important one's $4.3 million. If you guys said to me, hey, Pete, you have to stay on the, uh, if you have, you have to stay on the show until uh, you know, X time to get $4.3 million, everyone's going to do it. <laughs> but you could, you could also, you, you can also, like, an experienced administrator would realize how awful running a search in mid-February would be and how difficult it would be and would find ways around that to navigate around it. Talking to Pete Dammel, Yahoo Sports, about the Michigan State football situation. Look, I think it's an insult for Michigan State that Luke Fickle turns them down just based on budget and, and you know staff and facilities. You're talking about a difference of tens of millions of dollars. Not, not a couple of million, but tens of millions of dollars. And let's expand on this to the article you have on Yahoo Sports right now where my alma mater, uh, Mel Tucker, has declined interest. 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala, Iowa State, Matt Campbell, and now Fickle. So what does it say about the state of the program that it's not just Fickle, that a lot of coaches who would be stepping up considerably in terms of their budget and their facilities don't even have interest? Well, I, I mean, they're in, they're in a pickle, and that's what happens when you have poor leadership and you're trying to lure a, an established head coach. When you become a head coach, you realize how important it is to have what they call alignment, to have a great president who will be there for the long term, to have a great AD who will be there for the long term, to have a football you know, infrastructure, you know, associate athletic director, et cetera, who are, who are locked and loaded to go. And, it, and essentially, anyone who interviews for the Michigan State job knows Bill Beekman's not going to be there for the long term. And while he is the permanent athletic director, it doesn't feel permanent in any way possible, especially the way this search is going. So I really feel like that is what's – if you have a great job, like Mel Tucker has a really good job. Robert Selleck will be an NFL coach in a calendar year. Um, you're not going to put your career – at a, at a difficult job at risk. I mean, Michigan State, at the end of the day, is a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten job. Pete, you make some really good points. D'Antonio did an unbelievable job there, but the reality is, and you know I know this, and I know you know this, they don't get the same kids as Penn State, Ohio State, or Michigan. They oh, just yeah. don't, and, and they're never going to. So you have to be an unbelievable coach to be any better than fourth place in that division. And look, Shiano at Rutgers, I mean, th there's going to be competition just to even be fourth. So I'm with you on that. Michigan State, not in a great place. College football, though, is in a pretty great place. College basketball is not. You had a great story, Pete, about Coach K and his comments recently about the state of college basketball. And I thought one thing that was interesting is that Coach K mentioned college football having a big-picture plan and being big-time, but college basketball not. What did he mean by that? It's, it's a good question, and I, I don't think college football leadership is perfect by any means, but one of the things Coach K has stumped for for 30 years, Ross, is he wants a commissioner. He wants someone who is a czar of basketball who is in charge. And at the NCAA, because 90-plus percent of the NCAA revenue comes from the NCAA tournament and that billion-dollar television contract, there's almost more of an onus to have basketball figured out. One of the misnomers is that the NCAA gets rich off of college football. They really don't because the bowls and the conferences and make all the money off the TV contracts. But the NCAA makes the money off the NCAA tournament. And so the health of college basketball is intricately tied to the future of the NCAA. And Coach K basically said no one at the NCAA has any answers to this evolving landscape. Now, there is no czar of college football, but you can't argue that college football has had better vision and foresight and better leadership um, at the conference level in, in terms of like bringing in the postseason, the BCS, the playoff, et cetera. There, there, there just seems to be handled with better care than college basketball. Now, that said, there's 360-something Division I college basketball teams. Maine and Miami, Duke and Drake all play under the same rules. And it's, it's, it's a very difficult 
things for someone to wrap their arms around because it's just such a wide swath of backgrounds and places. Talking to Pete Thamel at uh, Pete Thamel on Yahoo Sports. Check out their uh, Yahoo Sports podcast with Dan Wetzel and Pat Forty. One of the biggest problems they have in college basketball is guys leaving college early and not getting drafted. You had 86 underclassmen declare last year. That was a record. 79 the year before. And Pete, about half, 85 in the last two years, left college early and went undrafted. And the result is... You can call it parody. I see it as mediocrity. No great teams, not a lot of great players either. What can college basketball do to fix that problem? I think Trey Jones is a great example of staying in school and how beneficial it can be for the player and for the program, but how do they fix it? College basketball needs to get its groove back. It has no panache. It has no buzz. Right now, it's not cool to play college basketball. Uh, the column you guys kindly referenced uh, that I wrote on Yahoo last week about Coach K's comments, I, I included a really telling snippet from a kid named Mikey Williams. Mikey Williams is the number one or one of the best freshmen in high school in the country. Evan Daniels from 247 Sports went and did a profile of him. Mikey Williams already has 1.4 million Instagram followers. At Mikey, you've probably never heard of him, guys, but um, I have. <laughs> okay, very good. So Mikey well, said to Evan Daniels off the cuff. I thought this was very telling. He said, "I want to get to the NBA as fast as possible." That's the mindset of young players right now. They're going to Australia. They're going to the G League. Shoot, some kids are just going to work out in gyms for a year and then turning pro. And college basketball is no longer a destination. That's just a hard, cold fact. And is it the NLI that maybe lures kids in where they can make some money? Is it, uh, you know, it, do the rules have to change? But the NCAA has done such a poor job, and look at the James Wiseman situation earlier this year at Memphis, of welcoming, accommodating, and really compensating the guys who were stars, and now they don't have any. So how do you fix it, Pete? I mean, what, <laughs> what, would, be, what, what would you do? The toothpaste, uh, Ross, is well out of the tube. Uh, I don't know how you fix like what a generation has grown up seeing and doing. Um, I, you know, look, they had a big NCAA committee. Everybody get together. We're going to have a big committee uh, conference out in Anaheim two weeks ago. And they said, in a year, we'll, we'll decide what we may do. And that's kind of the way the NCAA works. Just keep clearing the checks, keep kicking the can down the road, come up with no innovation, no solutions. And they're essentially getting backed in a corner. Um, so I, I, I would pass some type of name engine like this, but this is like a battleship that has to be turned. This is like you have to like change the opinions of a generation. It's it's very, very difficult where the NCAA has backed itself into. If they had more games like Duke, North Carolina, college Ooh. basketball would be in great shape. Um, I tweeted out over the weekend, it is the greatest rivalry in all of sports, bar none. In the last 100 meetings prior to Saturday night, it was tied Duke Carolina 50-50. And to take it one step further, they had scored the exact same amount of points, 7,746. And then this happened late Saturday night. They go to overtime. Listen to the call. And Alex O'Connell's position. Got the miss. Jones, can he get a shot off? Yes! Jones knocks it down to tie the game as the horn sounds. Just amazing. The question is, did he get it off in time? It looked like he did. And instead of shooting a soft shot, shooters Matthew Hurt and Alex O'Connell position. A miss, a tap. Jones tipped. Yes! Wendell Moore puts it home for Duke. That was an unbelievable win for Duke. Wendell Moore and a win that could have changed the season for North Carolina. But Trey Jones, Wendell Moore saved the day. It's 51-50 Duke. And they have it by two points in the last 101 meetings. Pete, what to you? makes this, or am I wrong, that it's the greatest rivalry in all of sports today? It's a, it's a great rivalry. I mean, 
Auburn, Alabama in football would definitely, in college, would definitely rival the rivalry, if you will. But I, I do agree generally that Carolina Duke is awesome. It always delivers. And that game was fantastic. My, my favorite play for, from that game uh, on Saturday Night Dave was the missed free throw. How Trey Jones missed that free throw. It was like a two-handed chest pass off the bottom of the rim, and then it caroms over, he collects it, makes a move, and then hits a jump shot. Like, that is one of the great, clutch basketball plays that you will ever see. Uh, I, I would argue it was the best missed free throw. There may be one in the NBA somewhere in the playoffs that I've missed, but I don't ever remember the missed free throw gambit working that well and, and executed that perfectly. And then he comes in the lane and hits a heck of a tough shot, that pull up and hit it pure. Trey Jones isn't the best shooter in the world. So it was just a remarkable basketball play. And look, Duke had to make like, seven plays. Carolina lost this game a dozen different ways, but that was, uh, to me, when I think about this game and that finish five years from now, it's going to be that Trey Jones chest pass missed free throw that, uh, that that stands out in my mind. Yeah, good job there by Jay Billis and the ESPN guys uh, describing it. Pete, when does the rule kick in where the kids can go right from high school to the NBA and does that in some way end up helping college hoops that maybe next year I would actually know who some of these college basketball players are or whenever that kicks in? Or does it hurt it because then they're really not going to have any stars? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, they still have not set that yet uh, when the one of They have said they want it to happen, but there's still some lingering <laughs> tension between the NBA Players Association and the NBA about eradicating the one-and-done rule and letting kids come straight from high school again. It's a sort of dense negotiating point that revolves around access to players' injury information prior to the draft. Um, and it's one of those things where the agents have dug their heels in. So, like, it could conceivably not happen. Adam Silver said it's expected to happen. He's talked about it openly happening, but it has not happened yet. So we shouldn't overstate that. I believe the first year would be when the current freshmen in high school, like because Imani Bates is one of those, are, uh, I think it's the class of 22. Um, I'm not good at math. That's why I became a journalist. Uh, that's when the, the the plan was for. But if that doesn't happen, it's going to change the whole landscape in a lot of other ways too. But that's a that's another rabbit hole we can go down. Uh, we can go down some other time. So it is expected to happen in the next three years. But whether it does or not still still remains to be seen. And the fact that it's taken this long from they sort of declared it to happen to now is 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 intriguing and should not be overlooked. It is. It is the biggest question facing them. And I'll be honest with you, Pete, the only reason I've heard of Mikey Williams is you mentioned it. Instagram followers, my son, 12-year-old sports fan, he's more into Mikey Williams and Bronny James than yeah. anyone in college basketball. I don't think he could name, besides Duke, his dad makes him watch Duke games, I don't think he could name mm -hmm. two players in college basketball, but they love Mikey Williams. So is that how you punish it, it is him a problem. to make him watch Duke? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's it's our bond, and it is the greatest rivalry That's in great. all of sports. I've Pete seen Campbell, on Instagram great you guys on the have program. the garden at those games. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. There you go, buddy. I love it. Love the Devils. Good to have you on, Pete. Always appreciate it. Check out his breaking news column on Luke Fickle, Turning Down Michigan State. Article already up on Yahoo Sports. Good to have you, Pete. Hey, thanks, guys. Fun to be back. All right. So, again, the best rivalry in all of sports today could be college, could be pro, could be Ohio State against Michigan football. Pete mentioned Auburn, Alabama football. But the numbers are just mind-boggling. Duke is basically a one or a two seed this year, uh, Ross. And North Carolina is fighting to stay out of the basement in the ACC as in last. And yet it doesn't matter. It's the classic throw out the records. UNC was up 13 late in this game. It's the best because of the passion of the fans. And it's the, it's the best because of how close it is. A reminder of that number. The last 101 Duke-UNC games, Duke is up 51-50 and only because they went to overtime and got a last-second buzzer beater, and they're separated by two points in 101 games. Can anything even come close to you? You know my answer. Nothing is even close. 
Uh, yeah, I think you've said that 17 times so far today's <laughs> show. I think that you believe if you say it enough times that that it's will true. make it true. Unfortunately, it's not true. And you know why it's not true? Because college basketball is not what it used to be. So you can't say it's the best rivalry in all of sports after we just talked to Pete Thamel for 15 minutes about how college basketball sucks. You can't do it. I mean, we don't even know the players for UNC and Duke anymore. Don't even know the players. I, the statistics that you put out there are really, really impressive. Really impressive how close it's been over time and blah, blah, blah. And UNC being able to give Duke a game, even though UNC stinks and Duke's good, that, that is all great. But it can't be the best rivalry in all of sports when the sport is fast deteriorating and is not one of the most popular or best sports. And we don't even know who the players are. Look, uh, I'll take Ohio State, Michigan. I'll take Auburn, Alabama. I'll take for sure the Army-Navy game. I mean, at least in these games, it, it feels like it still means something. That's the other thing. Duke UNC, they play twice a year. And what does it really matter? I mean, it, it, it's a nice rivalry, but ultimately they're both still getting in the ACC tournament. And then it, when they're good, they both get in the end. Like there aren't the same stakes as Auburn, Alabama is whether or not Alabama's in the college football playoff and has a chance at the national championship. Same with Ohio State, Michigan. Army-Navy, for all the reasons I talked about earlier in the year, you know how much I love that rivalry. That goes beyond sports for me. But I'm sorry. I can't say Duke-UNC is number one until college basketball gets their shit together. Army-Navy stands alone for different reasons, which we all acknowledge, that those players are there serving their country. So I, I think it's tough to throw Army-Navy into the likes of Duke, North Carolina, of Ohio State, of Michigan, or Auburn, Alabama. Have to separate that. Now, what does it mean? What are the stakes? Well, again, I mentioned this. Going into the game, North Carolina's last in the ACC, having a terrible year. How do you get tickets to this game? For a team that is last in the ACC, and their season is basically going down the drain, going down the shitter, you had to camp out to get tickets to it. It was as loud as we've heard of any game this season. And if North Carolina wins that game, this is what's on the line. Their entire season feels like it's turned around. For some of those players, they would have a storm the court moment for the fans. It would have the potential to turn around their entire season and make North Carolina feel like we've got a chance to run the table in this conference, in the conference tournament, to make the NCAA, and who knows, maybe make a run to the Final Four. That's what this rivalry is all about. The rivalry is all about students camping out in Krzyzewskiville, in their tents, just to have a chance to see a college basketball game. I don't think anything comes close to the passion of this rivalry, and you have to include the fact that they are separated by eight miles on the map, it is so passionate, so enjoyable, and such fierce competition. Tell me if Ohio State and Michigan, if Michigan is in the tank one year and they're last in the Big Ten, that rivalry does not have near the feeling that Duke UNC had with UNC down. Would you agree there? Absolutely not. You couldn't possibly be more wrong. If you are Michigan and you're having a bad year and you're playing Ohio State, that is your chance. That is the chance to go ahead and save your season. You can make your entire season. Every argument you mentioned about Duke UNC is the same for Ohio State, Michigan, Auburn, Alabama. And by the way, those games are only once. That's why it's a better rivalry. Duke UNC is twice. It takes a little bit of the luster out of it. Those other games, it's one time and it's 364 days all pointing towards that one game. There is no split. They won one. We won one. No, 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 no. 
There's only one game, and the winner of that one game gets bragging rights for a year. But you just said you can save your season. No, you cannot. If you're having a bad college football year, you're playing for absolutely nothing. If you're having a bad college basketball year, you can turn around your entire season, not just for the sentimental value of beating Duke, but a a couple of games down the stretch in the ACC and then a good ACC tournament, you can go to the big dance and ultimately you can cut down the nets at the end of the season so you can do far more to save your season in college basketball than you can in football. You can't do anything to save your season in college football. It's over. Win or loss. Hold hold, hold a second. But that has nothing to do with the Duke-UNC game. UNC can still go to the ACC tournament and run the table and win it and then go – like. It doesn't matter that they lost. That that means nothing that they lost in terms of UNC being able to turn their season around. They still have yes, the ACC no, no, tournament. No, 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 no. That's that, just wrong. No, that's just wrong. Because if you get a win over Duke, the quality win changes your entire resume, not just your mentality. If you beat Duke, a potential one seed at worst, a two, it changes your entire resume and gives you a much better chance of getting in. No, they have no chance of getting in. UNC has no chance of getting in. None. Absolutely none. You're, so you're, you're suggesting... Tournament. You're pretending that beating a one or a two seed doesn't change your resume? It does, but it's not enough for UNC this year to be a tournament team. They have to win the ACC tournament. Well, if they run the table, if they were to run the table for the rest of the year and make a solid run of the ACC tournament, I think they do get in. If they beat Duke and then that confidence, not on, not just the resume, but then they go beat, say, a Louisville and a Florida State, I can't imagine any committee keeping them out. But look, we should ask the people. We should ask the followers what is the best rivalry in all of sports, let's get a poll going later this week to figure out. Although I know, I know your followers might skew this uh, somewhere in your favor, but we'll we'll see if we can get a good poll up this week. We're out of time on a Oscars Monday. We'll be back Tuesday for Ross Tucker. I'm Dave Briggs. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember. You can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. Home and Home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.